Thanks for joining us for the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue our series, Advent 2021. Good morning. How are we doing? Two weeks away from Christmas. Anybody still got some Christmas shopping to do? My wife, y'all, was done before Thanksgiving, wrapped, bought, and under the tree. Uh, financially, we didn't even get to uh, the possibility of Black Friday deals because they were already uh, paid for by then. Uh, but man, we love this season. We love the Christmas movies. Uh, and December 26th is just the worst day of the year for us because that means Christmas decorations got to come down. We got to take the lights uh, off the outside of the house. But uh, what we do in this season of Christmas is we enter into Advent, right? We have these uh, weeks of love, joy, uh, peace, and hope. And the whole concept of Advent being that we are sitting in expectation for what Jesus is going to do. Uh, we sit in expectation for what he's going to do in our lives. We sit uh, in thankfulness for what he has done. Uh, and today we sit in the advent of peace. Uh, we're going to talk about, um, you know, just the, the world's concept of peace. What does Jesus actually teach us about peace as he is uh, the Prince of Peace? And so uh, I want to be honest with you guys as well that this last week um, has been in the last quite a few months, some of the, the most uh, anxious, anxiety and fear that I've even battled in my own life. Uh, and so I don't teach this morning from a place of like these, con- these concepts of head knowledge that we've picked and pulled from to piece together to talk to you about, but really having to rest in a lot of these teachings this week for myself of battling some fear, battling some anxiousness, uh, of going to the Lord and trying to work through this. And so I teach this uh, this morning and, and really just as a conversation with you guys about what the Lord has shown me even in the last week. Um, and so before we even start, this has nothing to do with peace or even the message this morning, but uh, something I read this morning and then even in worship, felt like the Lord laid on my heart. And one of the things that burdens my heart more than anything when it comes to the church, uh, especially the church in America, is that the culture can very easily become this this thing that we just show up to for, for an experience on Sunday mornings. We come to hear a great band and fantastic they are. Or we come to hear uh, a good teaching from somebody who we think maybe has got a little bit more knowledge about uh, this Jesus and us. And so we'll come and listen to it and, and we kind of feel better about ourselves for the week and we'll do it again. And we get real picky about, I didn't like that worship song. Or I don't like that translation of the Bible. And, and church can become this thing that we just do. And my, my heart really aches and is burdened for the church that that's the perception uh, that we have as believers at times. And one of the disciplines in the mornings that I've, I've gotten into is just reading a psalm every morning or a couple of them, uh, depending, depending on the length. Uh, I like them short, so if there's short ones, we'll read a couple of them. Um, but reading the psalms and, and, and reading them from a place of like, man, there's, there's psalmists that write and they're ticked and they're frustrated and, and they're mad at God. And so they're wrestling with him in their frustration. Uh, we have Psalms that uh, talk about man, God's faithfulness and, and who he is and the magnitude of who he is as creator. And, and all the Psalms, though, that they, they get to this place of, of continuing so to worship God for who he is and recognizing who he really is. And so this building is not church. Like we gather together, like we are, we're church. 
Like whether we're doing it in this building, which is great, whether we're doing it in your home or whether we're doing it out in a field, like we create the church and the church is to worship. It's not to come and get rid of your kids for an hour and 15 minutes and and to listen to something to experience, but we are here to worship the God that created us. And so I want to read out of the message this morning. Psalm 95 says, Come, let's shout praises to God. Raise the roof for the rock who saved us. Let's march into his presence singing praises and lifting the rafters with our hymns. And why? Because God is the best. He's high king over all the gods. In one hand, he holds the deep caves and caverns. And in the other hand, he grasps the high mountains. He made oceans. He owns it. His hand sculpted earth. So come, let us worship. Bow before him on your knees before God who made us. Oh yes, he's our God. And we're the people he pastures, the flock that he feeds. And I want us this morning to enter a place in the true worship of who our God is. Like, gosh man, like what, what would it look like if, if a church, if we really grasp the idea that we have the same opportunity Moses had when he walked up on the Mount Sinai, and like the presence of God was on him, so much so that the mountain shook and trembled. Scripture says that if we don't cry out and worship, the rocks will. And I know for a fact that I would rather be crying out as opposed to a little pebble that sits in my front yard. But if I don't, that rock will praise the Lord. And so I, I do just ask, man, if you guys would just join me in prayer. Uh, and and it's, I am hard-pressed to find anywhere in Scripture that doesn't talk about prayer uh, being something done on our knees. And so if you are physically able, I would love to ask you just to join me on my knees as we pray this morning. And so, God, we humbly bow because this is the posture of the humble recognizing how mighty our God is. And we recognize that we are nothing without you and that we all walk in here with some crap. We come with some baggage, with some sin, with some junk on our life, and we step into this place because we trust who you are, we believe who you are, and we are expectant of your forgiveness, of your grace, of your mercy for us, of the life that you promise us, and of peace. And so, God, I pray that we will set aside our crowns this morning, that we would lay them at your feet and worship you as true God, that we would raise the rafters, that we would rock this house with our praise, God. I pray that you will clear distractions, that you will help us to focus on the words uh, that you have for us this morning. We love you, and we do this to worship you, mighty God. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a a little boy growing up, I used to hate flying on airplanes. And if I was honest, I still hate flying on airplanes. I just tolerated it a little bit more than I used to when I was a little kid. Uh, Even recently, me and my buddy, we flew out of town for a couple days last month. And like leading up to it, you kind of get that little stirring, little butterflies in your stomach and a little anxiousness, right? And I remember as a kid, like my fear of flying was through the roof. Like there was nothing I feared more than getting on an airplane. Um, my, my dad, as he was uh, in ministry before being a pastor, he traveled a lot and he was flying to different cities doing different things. And uh, as a little boy, I got to travel with him a lot. And we'd, you know, every now and again, once a year, once every couple of years, we'd jump on a plane and we'd go flying somewhere with him. And 
Um, I, I was terrified of flying. One, though, because 9-11 happened in my childhood. And, and so that was kind of some of my earliest memories as a kid. And so in my mind, I was like, every airplane's just bad. Like something just awful, terrible is going to happen every time I get on this airplane. And then the main reason, though, I hate flying is because I hate roller coasters. I hate elevators that drop too fast. Uh, I don't like hitting a hill in a car too quick. Uh, my wife and I, before it was like either right before we got married or... Right after, it was shortly like right around the time that we were married, there was a back road in Loganville that she knew about and I had never been on. And she knew that. She was very aware. And so uh, we are driving down this road in this little jelly bean car that she owned at the time. Uh, and I'm in the passenger seat. And we, from my angle, we, we go down, we crest in this hill. And from the top of it, from the peak, there was nothing underneath us. Like I was... I was certain that we are going to christen that, and that was it. Like, it was just the earth was flat, and it stopped right there. And so we, we go up this hill, and y'all, like a cat being thrown into the tub. I mean, it was like everything was gripped, my heart, like, just that, ugh, like that wind being taken out of you, to which she thought was the best. Um, and I mean, she was just belly laughing, and so... I, so when I get on an airplane, it's all of those things are joined and stirred into a big pot and served to me. And so flying just doesn't fire me up. Uh, and so, I, but back to being a kid and we'd be driving to the airport uh, for these flights. And man, it could be like, like today, cool, crystal clear blue skies, perfect day. Uh, and from the back seat, I remember like, dad, is it, is it a good day for flying? Like, like is today good flying weather? And in essence, like, what I wanted to know is, like, is there going to be turbulence once we get up there? Like, I, should I start panicking and freaking out now, or can I wait till we get through security? Right? Like, I just needed to know, like, could, should, I, should I have this panic attack in an hour? Does it need to be now? Like, I remember working myself up to get on these planes, and we'd get through security, and we'd get into the airport and eventually get on the plane. And we'd strap into the plane, and it'd start, you know, barreling down the runway. And, y'all, I could not white-knuckle anything harder in my life as I did before takeoff of a flight. Like, hands in the front pockets, and, like, gripping the armrests, and head in my lap, and just this ball of anxiousness and fear. And my dad, very often, would look over, and he'd be like, hey, Ben, just tap your feet. I was like... Just tap my feet like I'm about to lose them. I can't even spell feet right now, much less get my brain to tell my feet, to tap my feet. He's like, just tap your feet. It makes everything okay. And even as an adult getting on a plane, like, I'll, you know, you catch yourself, just like start tapping your feet. Like, it still doesn't work. So if you've got a fear of flying, don't tap your feet. It's a waste of time. It doesn't help fear and anxiousness. But my dad's response to fear of flying, you tap your feet. I'm like, dude, there couldn't be anything more of a waste of time than tapping my feet. But the second thing that he did uh, in my fear of flying, I remember at a young age, he's like, man, you just need to memorize Philippians 4, 6 through 7, which I guess had a little bit more uh, reasoning behind it than tapping feet. Uh, but as a young kid, I remember memorizing uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. So you've got your Bibles. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to camp out here. Uh, and then if you want to uh, put a finger in John 14, it'll be the two passages we referred to today, but Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and he says, starting in verse 6, chapter 4, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I remember at a young age, like I memorized this verse and, and like honestly, I only memorized it because I was like, I will grasp at anything that helps me get through takeoffs uh, and turbulence of an airplane. Uh, but wrestling with this verse, even as I got older and especially in the last couple of weeks of like, but what is this peace that Paul's talking about? Right, like it's this peace, he says, that'll transcend all understanding. In essence, he's like, man, like when you're anxious, don't fear, pray Petition, give thanks, and this peace that we will never be able to understand uh, and fathom conceptually in our minds will overflow in your heart and life. And so questioning, what is this peace? Like peace is like, it, it's this untangible, it's, it's kind of mysterious, it's this thing that everyone desires, but yet it's not really easily obtained. And we talk about, like, the, we want peace in our lives, and we want peace in our families, and we want peace in the world. And, and we talk about peace a lot, but I've wrestled with the question, but can we put a finger on what peace really is? Like, if we were to get down into the nitty-gritty of our lives, and we throw around, like, love and hope and peace, and we throw around all these Christian church words, but if we're honest, can I put a finger on what peace really is in my life? Like, do I have peace? And if so, where? And if not, why? Right? Like, but what's the kind of peace that Jesus talks about? Did anybody, anybody watch Miss Congeniality? Come on, give me some guys. I need some guys to raise their hand. I know, ladies, you've seen it. Any guys seen it? Drew, Teresa's made you watch Miss Congeniality. What, so, so when these girls are in the pageant and, and they're asked all these questions, they're like, what do you want more? Anything in the world, what's their answer? We want, we want world peace, right? Every girl's like, I just want world peace. Well, as I'm, I'm growing more as a communicator, like, we, and you can ask dad and anybody else who teaches, like, we just look for illustrations. Like, we want a story. We need something. And sometimes God is just gracious and just gives them to you. And so last week, uh, I was on the way to Monroe Area High School where we do a lot of our ministry out of. And uh, I was on 78, and I'm pulling up this hill, which is the off-ramp to Highway 11. And as I'm getting off the exit, there is this little bitty man, and he is like lugging this cart up 78 off that ramp. And this like wagon is full to the brim, covered with a tarp, and he is struggling to get up this ramp. And so I, I pulled up past him, and I pulled off to the side, and uh, he gets a little bit closer. And I said, hey, man, you need a ride? He's like, no, 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 I'm good. I said, well, where are you going? He said, uh, uh, California. <laughs> I said, you're going where? He said, I'm walking to California. I said, you're walking to California. He said, yeah, man, I'm, I'm walking from here to California in the name of world peace. I said, come on, man, let's head on to California. I said, and I said, well, well man, where'd you start from? He said, Statum. I said, well, we ain't gotten far. Like, we, uh, we still got some ground to cover. But by God's man, that dude at least made it from Statum to Monroe, just farther than I've walked in the last couple of ever. Uh, so... But he's like, man, I'm walking to California in the name of world peace. And he keeps on walking and he like points to his car as he drives by. And it has like a little whiteboard. It's like world peace, women's rights, all these other things. But I was like, man, I pulled away from that. And I thought, that's what we're looking for. Like every single one of us, we're just looking for some world peace. And I was like, man, I had to give anything to put a tracker on that dude just to see. You know, maybe he's in New Orleans right now. You know, maybe he's made his way to Dallas like... Love to see how far he makes in the name of world peace. But, but 
again, the idea of being like, peace is something we all want, but yet it's not really measured very well. Right? Or, or do we know how to measure peace in our lives? And, and to get down even on a more uh, serious level of like when, when we internalize this personal peace now, uh, of like, God, what's peace? And, and something I've done a lot over the last couple months is really spent time studying uh, the Christian martyrs throughout the world. And I got a book um, I think I actually stole it from my mother-in-law when we got married, but uh, it's just got hundreds of pages of stories of Christian martyrs throughout history uh, and reading heart-wrenching stories of followers of Jesus, like people who are being tortured and killed in ways that we cannot fathom because they come and they want to show up to something like this. And that whole church thing that we talked about before we started, like it's not this, this performance thing that they just show up to do on a Sunday, but for them, it is life or death. And I'm willing to show up to this place and worship, even if somebody barges in that door and takes us all out and kills us all for it. And so I, I've read these stories, I'm like, and, and man, like, I love my kids. Like more than anything, I love my two boys. And I read in this story of like, how do you have the peace of Jesus as you are forced to watch your own children be hung because you love the Lord? And another story of them being drugged out onto the city street and a steamroller begins to inch closer to them. And as it gets closer and closer, uh, asked again and again and again to recant their faith and if so, to spare their lives and willingly with the peace of God laid there and allowed themselves to be run over for Jesus. And you read those stories like, how does somebody like that have peace? And how do you have peace in your life to see your family treated that way? How do you have peace in your life knowing that death is inching closer to you and yet you read their stories and they're singing and they're praying for those that are torturing them and beating them and killing? Like, where is that peace, man? Like, I, I don't know if I've ever experienced peace like that. And, and even more close to home, going and taking even a Thanksgiving uh, meal to a family a couple weeks ago and you, you walk into this house and like, man, like questionable as far as safety even to live in this thing. I mean, places that we would not uh, dare to even consider to live. And how do you look at that family and these little kids who are so excited just to tell you their name that, man, there is a God who's a God of love and peace and he sees you. H how do we reconcile with that kind of peace. Because I do believe that like the peace that, that, that we strive for or the peace that we try to understand uh, is very, very distorted by what uh, culture and media and things like that tell us. And I've wrestled with what God, like how do you find peace in that though? And even praying this the other day, I really did believe the Lord uh, just kind of spoke back and answered and said that peace is not circumstantial. Peace is not determined by our circumstances, but it can be found amidst our circumstances. In essence, peace is not determined by your outward appearance of how your life is going. Peace is not uh, defined by our day-to-day -day life. But yet in that day-to-day, -day, we have the ability to find peace. But how? Because peace, it can't come from position. It can't come from your possessions. It can't come from your status. 
Like your wealth will never determine your peace. How little or how much you have in the bank can't dictate the peace in your heart. Your health can't determine your peace. The house that we live in and our friends and the job that we so bad want or that we have or that we think is down the road, like that will not offer you peace. It might be a fix. It might be something that we tap the vein and shoot up a little bit and it makes us feel better. But is that the peace that was promised to us in Jesus? And I really do believe that our, our world and especially our culture has defined peace as something more like a ceasefire. Right? Like we define peace as this like suppression of violence and anger and aggression. And, and like we, we want peace to be defined as a change in emotion. Right? It's like a, a change to make things a little bit easier. It's a little bit less chaos in my life. And we look at peace as uh, like it, it's this outward effect that we expect to have some kind of internal, uh, internal effect. Or it's this outside circumstances that we want to have an inward effect on us. But is this the kind of peace that was promised to us? Is this the kind of peace that for 400 years in the silence before Jesus... When the prophets were prophesying of the things to come. And Isaiah will write here in chapter 9 where he says, For a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. I love this quote that says that in a world filled with war and violence, it's difficult to see how Jesus could be the all-powerful God who acts in human history and be the embodiment of peace. But physical safety and political harmony don't necessarily reflect the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. We see peace as something that we can put a finger on, that we can see like some trends on the news, like our kids ain't tearing up the house as much, like they're not waking up in the middle of the night, so I think, ah, oh, my dad had a little bit more peace in it today. Isaiah says, man, the prince of peace is coming. The season that we celebrate right now, the promise that was to come was the prince of peace is going to come. But what kind of peace, again, is this? Is this the kind of peace that we internalize the right way? And in John chapter 14, if you guys will flip over there, Jesus is in the last night with his disciples. He is spending the last hours. He's comforting them. He's trying to bring sense to their questions. He's reassuring their doubts. He's teaching them and pouring into them one last time. And one of the things that Jesus says towards the very end in John chapter 14, starting out in verse 26, he says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. One of the last things that Jesus tells his disciples, he says, Guys, I'm leaving. And the disciples are questioning him and they don't quite understand and they're wrestling and they're confused. And Jesus says, when I go, I'm going to give you the advocate. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit that will come with you. And when he comes, peace, 
Jesus says he leaves with us. And I think the most important part of this verse on the back half of 27 where he says, but I do not give to you as the world gives. The peace that Jesus offers, he says, don't expect to see it the way the world sees it. For I do not give gifts and I do not do things in the same way that the world gives. The other prophecy, I think it's in Isaiah, where he says, like, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Like, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways and my thoughts are above yours. And Jesus says, I leave with you the peace that you so desperately desire. I am the embodiment of peace. But don't expect it to come the way that the world's going to say it will. Don't expect to receive peace in the way that the news tells us to. Don't expect peace to look like your social media feed uh, appeasing your personal desires and uh, the way that you want things done. Don't expect peace to come the way the world's going to tell you to. And again, wrestling. Well, what is that peace then? Like, how do we obtain this promise of peace? And what Jesus will write, uh, what Jesus will teach his disciples in John 14, it's the same peace that Paul will write about to the Philippians. And it's uh, the word irene in the Greek. And it's uh, this idea that peace is spiritual harmony brought about by an individual's restoration with God. It's the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort. That is. That is wordsy for me. And so if I could break that down of what he's saying. is like the peace that Jesus says I leave with you through the Holy Spirit. It's not this change in aggression or attitude. But it's the peace that we all so desperately desire. The peace that we are wrestling with in our unsettling. The peace when we are anxious and when we're fearful, when things don't make sense, that we really desire is not for our circumstances just to change. But he said this kind of peace, it's the assurance and the tranquility of our souls assured in God. Through the Holy Spirit, the peace that we desire more than anything is the fact that I know where my soul is with my creator. The peace that I desire more than anything doesn't come from what CNN or Fox News says is happening in the Middle East or what the pandemic trends are doing. That will never offer us peace. But the peace is knowing that I know who I am with my father. I know what Jesus did on the cross. And that brings peace because my soul is assured of its salvation. That peace does not necessarily look like a suppression of wars. Peace doesn't necessarily mean your children will never destroy the house again. Uh, We're potty training, so crapping on the floor is a little bit more our language right now. Like A day where we avoid that does not mean that peace has come. It's nice. God's peace isn't the assurance against chaos in our life. And guys, God's peace is not defined by a pandemic, by racial injustice, by poverty, by persecution. God's peace knows not uh, defined by your circumstances. God's peace is promised through the assurance of my soul in Jesus Peace is knowing that I am his child. God's peace satisfies the depths of my soul. 
As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for the living God. Peace comes in desperate pursuit of Jesus. It's joy when life is hard. It's love for God's people. God's peace stems from the root of our salvation. Our peace is delivered by the Holy Spirit. This is another major thing that we've got to pick up in this teaching in John 14. He's like, when I leave, I will give you the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, peace I leave you. For us to understand, first and foremost, how do we gain true peace? We have to know who Jesus is. And not just know who Jesus is, but we have got to be surrendered to him. Because once we are surrendered to Jesus, once we say yes to the God in flesh who was murdered on a cross, who bled, who was buried, but rose again and ascended to heaven, until we put our faith in that Jesus, we cannot gain and obtain the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, like, when you surrender to me, when you say yes to me, like, I leave the Holy Spirit with you. And through that Holy Spirit comes the peace that you're so desperately desiring. And so for some of us, we might not have any peace in our life because we have never said yes to Jesus. We might be desperate souls each and every day because we've just never said yes to Jesus. Like we have been trying to gratify or satisfy our flesh by uh, these outward circumstances that we think can bring us peace. And all we're doing is numbing uh, the call of the Holy Spirit and the call of Jesus to say yes to him. For us, first and foremost, to have peace, we've got to say yes to Jesus. And for some of you guys today, like you, the fact that we all come in here uh, from time to time, like we're anxious, we're fearful. The last week for me, again, has been rough battling some of this stuff, even personally. But knowing that even the ability to walk out the door in peace, for some of you guys knowing like I can leave this room today for the first time in the rest of my life, in my job, in my family, no matter where I live, no matter what my financial circumstances are, like I can have peace for the first time today. And all it looks like is surrendering and saying, God, I lay down my crown. I lay down my badge of honor from thinking that I'm good enough to be God. And I've got to say yes to you today. Like this isn't something that is far off uh, obtained that is not easily taken hold of, it's saying yes to Jesus and you can walk out this door today for the first time living in peace. It has to start with surrender to Jesus in the Holy Spirit. That is where peace is ultimately found. Christianity Today, uh, Christianity.com said that peace is the harmony and the calmness of body, mind, and spirit that supersedes earthly circumstances. It requires, peace requires a mixture of humility and courage to experience God's peace, seeking beyond the mere abilities of our own understanding. The nearer that we move to him, the more of his peace we can experience. 2 Peter 1-2 encourages this growing relationship with God by saying, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. This season we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We celebrate the Prince of Peace, the one true offering of peace. And a subsiding from physical discomfort, a ceasefire, that is not the peace that we're looking for. And Jesus says, the only way you can really have this is through the Holy Spirit. 
The only way that we can obtain this peace is through the Holy Spirit. And so two groups of people I want to talk to as we close. The first one, again, being the one who's never said yes. Guys, like by, by saying yes to Jesus today can be the first time. This overwhelming peace that, like, guys, when I read through Philippians 4, I don't have the first clue in how to really understand what kind of peace that will, uh, what, what, let me read it again, transcends all understanding. My understanding is feeble very often. And so for us to live into this, this peace that we can't understand and it doesn't make sense, but when we begin to pray and petition the Lord, this rush of calmness that comes over us, guys, it can be lived in for the first time today. The Holy Spirit brings it, and the only way we have the Holy Spirit is by saying yes to Jesus. For those who would say, I have said yes to Jesus, I have surrendered my heart and life to the Lord, what do we do? Like this week for me, as I have wrestled, as I have woken up heavy hearted, as I've laid in bed at night like anxious and I'm going to go to sleep, I guess I've had this angst on me throughout this week at times, the question of being, I know whose I am with the Lord. I know that I'm a son of the Most High God. But now as believers, what do we do when we feel these attacks? What do we do when, when, when our hearts are just unsettled? What do we do when we do see our bank account and it stresses you out a little bit looking at Christmas time? What do you do when you've got a wayward child? What do you do when there's tension in your marriage and there's just anxiousness, there's fear of the unknown of the future? Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, when you feel this fear and anxiousness, first thing you've got to do, you've got to pray. Like it sucks to walk through the valley of some of this stuff. It is not fun. Nobody have I ever met signs up and says, man, yeah, give me a week, give me a month, give me a year of anxiety. I'd love that. But Paul says the first thing that you've got to do in every situation is to pray. And guys, I can't tell you how many times this week, like just been on my knees. And then he says through prayer and petition. And the word petition literally means to beg God. Like there's a parable that Jesus talks about. of Like there's this girl who kept coming to the king and, and she was asking him question after question. And will you do this for me? 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 And finally the king is like, have it your way. Consider it done. Quit bugging me. But Jesus uses that parable to say, this is a way like that you can petition the Father. Like sometimes we just need to bug God a little bit and beg him. We just need to petition. We just need to cry out in desperation in prayer, asking God to do what only he can do. Like fear and anxiety can either lead you into a place of self-pity, self-deprivation, like just leave you into a reflection on woe is me, or it has the possibility to lead us into deeper worship before God. When we feel anxious and fear, we will either swing to the, woe is me, life is so hard, nothing's ever going to get better, my life sucks. Or it could swing to, you know what, I'm going to pray before you, I'm going to petition before you, I'm going to worship you, I'm going to bring thanksgiving to you. There will be a response. Paul says, Pray and with petition. Begin to beg God. God, give me some clarity. I mean, like, I don't know why. Like, what, give me eyes to see what's going on inside. 
God, you are the prince of peace. You're the only one that can offer this peace to me. So I'm begging you, will you give me a calmness of my spirit? Throughout the day, in the mornings, in the afternoons, on my face, on my knees, saying, God, I just need some help. I need a little bit of strength to even get up on my feet and get out the door and start the day. But I don't want to do that without you. Paul says, by prayer, beg God. The second point, and I think this is one of the most important ones, he says, with thanksgiving. How many of us battling through fear or anxiousness, our default is to begin singing praises and just thinking about how thankful we are? And I think that's so difficult because when we enter these valleys, we begin to see life again through this self-pity lens of woe is me, nothing is good in life, everything sucks, I just nothing will ever get better. And I really believe that Paul will write like by prayer, begging God, but thanksgiving is a worshipful response to God for what he's done to us. And I believe that when we begin to uh, really have to search our minds and our hearts and our lives to bring a gift of thanksgiving to God, it forces us to take our eyes off of us and to look at God for just a minute. Right? Like if, if I'm wallowing in this anxiousness and fear and, and I'm just stressed out all the time, for me to move into a place of intimacy with the Lord, I've got to take my eyes off of me and begin to remember, God, what have you done for me? It's this worshipful response for what God's already done. Man, like I am stressed out. Christmas is coming. Money's tight. I'm anxious. I'm fearful if we're going to make rent this month. Like we, we bought too many gifts. I, Lord, I'm going to choose to remember how you've provided for us so much in the past. I'm anxious that we're not going to have enough for the end of this month. Lord, I choose to remember and to thank you for how you've always provided. God, like I'm, I'm, I'm fearful that you know, the AC just went out and the, the refrigerator's down and the house seems to be falling apart. But Lord, I thank you that you've allowed us to live here for the last 10 years. I thank you for how you have always taken care of us. You've always given a roof over our, head, over our head. You've always been provider. For us to move out of a place of fear and anxiousness, I truly believe we've got to take off the lenses that cloud our vision to see anything that's good in life and put on the lenses that allows us to remember what God has done for us and worship him for that. Because for us to worship and be thankful to God, it forces me to stop looking at me and to look at what he's done for us. By prayer, by giving thanks. Man, if you guys want to head this way. The third thing is we have to have a growing knowledge of who God is. So again, referring back to that quote, 2 Peter 1-2 says, May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The closer that we grow to Jesus the more that we begin to step into the understanding and we spend time with him and we just soak in his scriptures and we're on our knees and we're praying and we get to know more of the character of God, the more grace and peace that we begin to walk into. We've got to pray. We have got to be thankful. but We've got to grow in an understanding of who God even is. And the closer and the deeper we grow in our knowledge of God, the more peace is offered to us. Next, we've got to confess our fears to others. 
when we feel attacks of anxiousness and fear, I, I do believe that Satan, like man, Satan wants to do everything he can to keep us bound in separation from God. And so when we feel fear, when we become anxious, when these things start weighing us down, Satan will love to tell us that just to keep it to ourselves, to keep it quiet, man, they're going to think you're crazy if you tell them what you're afraid of. They're going to think you're nuts if you tell them where your anxiousness is coming from. And these lies will keep us bound up in isolation. And for us to see real breakthrough, we need to confess that to somebody, man. Like telling your spouse, telling an accountability partner, telling a friend, like, man, here's just where I'm at. I'm just anxious. Maybe here's why. James says that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And sometimes we just need some righteous people to walk beside and pray and intercede with us. This last week, man, texting one of my accountability partners, bro, I just need some prayer. Just got an anxious heart. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Talk to somebody about it. And the last thing being that we just need to slow down and we need to eliminate some hurry and rush in our life. A default when these things, when we feel these attacks and fear can be, let me just numb out the noise with the radio up. Let me just keep the TV turned on all day. Let me just watch some pointless television late into the night until I fall asleep. And and we try to numb our minds and our lives so we don't actually have to sit and deal with it with the Lord. Some of us just need to go for a walk. Some of us just need to put our phone and leave it at the house and turn off the radio. We just need to go for a walk down our street saying, Lord, man, I don't know what's going on, but here I am and I'm ready ready to work through it with you. You need to get in the car and go to work tomorrow and just turn off the radio. Turn off the talk news. Turn off the the music. You just need to sit with the Lord and be silent. You guys just finished a series on eliminating hurry. And, and I, our culture has done such a great job of forcing us to speed up our lives. And we're running to the next thing and we're hurrying. And, and our social media is always trying to tell us that we're not good enough. Or, 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 or it, we're forced into this rushful, already anxious place in our hearts. And some of us need to cut that crap out, turn it off, eliminate it, and give space for the Holy Spirit to actually talk to us through prayer, through begging God, with thanksgiving, confessing it, growing in our knowledge of who God is, and slowing down. Jesus offers us a peace that we can't even, we can't understand. I would be doing you a deep injustice if I tried to come up here and explain to you exactly what this peace was, because even Paul says it'll transcend your understanding. You don't even know. But I've known and learned how to experience that.